for the week of January 5th, 2020. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today, we are going to discuss the penultimate episode of Season 1, The Mandalorian, Chapter 7, The Reckoning. And to help me with all this is John. John, how you doing? Doing good. I think uh, we're back on track with The Mandalorian. This was a ridiculously satisfying episode, and I think it, it set up the finale perfectly. So whatever gripes we may have had about the more standalone one-off adventure episodes that we've had for the last few weeks, I think we could put all that behind us and, uh, yeah, just get on with the finale. Yeah, and we will be covering the finale next week. And after that, we have a little bit of time before we get some new content. So we are returning to Resistance, which we are a little bit behind on. And hopefully that will lead us up to a nice little segue to Clone Wars, which drops next month. Mm -hmm. We're just about a month away from that. Do we know how many episodes we're getting for that? Like, it is going to be a short season, right? I believe so. I believe it's going to be between 8 and 11, but I might be mistaken on that. I need to uh, double uh, double my research, but I believe sure. it is a shorter season. Right. Uh, a lot of it's going to be the stuff that we've kind of, not a lot of it, but we've kind of already seen some of the content uh, that wasn't finished from when Filoni mm -hmm. kind of released everything that was going on from there. So we're going to see that mixed in with some new stuff. Uh, of course, we have the voice actors returning and yeah, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, it is interesting because we did get a lot of that previs stuff that they put out at different conventions along the way, but now they've had time to finish the development of the season. And when you revisit a story and you look at it with fresh eyes, you might want to take it in a completely new direction. So as much as we may think we know what's going to happen with that season of the Clone Wars, it's still all, you know, up for grabs. There's, there's nothing off the table. So yeah, I want to see how they're going to round it out. I'm sure he's been stewing on this long enough that uh, he's going to stick the landing and, you know, I, I think, uh, the way that Mandalorian shaping up, it's pretty obvious that, um, when Dave Filoni's in the mix, star Wars can stick the landing <laughs> despite maybe where we're at with feature films, uh, you know, depending on where you land with uh, rise of Skywalker, uh, it does seem like star Wars TV really has its head screwed on straight. And, uh, I'm just super excited about, uh, where Mandalorian's headed, what we're getting with clone wars and, uh, yeah, what's coming down the pipe. We got Obi-Wan and so much more, uh, in the next couple of years to look forward to so yeah definitely feeling optimistic about star wars today absolutely and i really think the way that mandalorian is going and of course the other shows coming our way with obi-wan and since we have our actor coming back as obi-wan kenobi we have a one mcgregor returning taking back right. his role uh this might be the future of star wars for disney or at least the nearest future i mean i know <laughs> the next movies are coming out and by i think it was I can't even remember. It's it's within three years or so. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Christmas 2022 is the first one that's slated. So we've got, yeah, solid, well, three years basically to to fill in. And it seems like they're really taking TV seriously. They're, they're investing a lot in it. They're turning out some good stuff. So yeah, we're not going to be starving for Star Wars content. Uh, as, as long as Disney Plus is thriving, we should we should get a lot of fun stuff while we wait for the next movie. Well, speaking of the next movie, we're going to talk about some box office stuff. So, John, what's happening at the box office for The Rise of Skywalker? All right. So when we did our Rise of Skywalker review last week, we did actually talk about it. I cut it out of the final edit just because 
we covered a lot of ground, <laughs> you know, that was a very dense two hour discussion. So it, it seemed like the box office discussion maybe wasn't critical. So I thought it might be fun to just quickly revisit that now, now that we've had the better part of another week to see how the box office is shaping up. And the, the real headline here, uh, is, is pretty mundane. You know, there's a lot of talking heads online saying, Oh my goodness, they lost a hundred million dollars in their second week and it's tanking and you know, Disney's in damage control mode and it's just the end of the world. And the truth is it's tracking pretty darn close to what I think everyone was really expecting. It looks like it's going to do very similar numbers to the last Jedi. We're rounding out about 800 million as of today. Uh, so it is on track to break a billion, which is kind of, you know, the, the, the big road marker of whether uh, a blockbuster movie is considered a success these days. So while it's not doing end game numbers and it's not doing force awaken numbers, realistically, this is what a lot of people were assuming we were going to get out of the third chapter in a trilogy where obviously there's been a few bumps <laughs> in the road along the way. Uh, so yeah, it, it should be crossing a billion at some point in, in the near term and wherever it lands, you know, shy of last Jedi, or maybe just slightly, uh, surpassing it. It's definitely going to be in that, uh, 1 billion to maybe 1.2 billion range. And, uh, I think, uh, that's probably, yeah, how things are going to shake out over the next month. Well, that is definitely a lot of money. However, I think it's a few weeks behind what they wanted to make a billion or when they wanted to hit that landmark of a billion dollars. But hey, it's going to get there and we're getting more Star Wars stuff regardless. So, yeah, you can read between the lines or you can just enjoy it, whatever floats your boat. It's lukewarm enough that people are going to spin that however they want. You know, if it didn't hit two billion, it's a terrible failure. Uh, But other people are going to say, well, it crossed a billion. So that's a smashing success. And they're both right. You know, Disney would have loved 2 billion, but Disney's not upset with 1 billion. Um, I think there's a lot of people at Disney and Lucasfilm that are saying, well, you know what, this could be performing better. So we definitely want to make sure that we're making some strategic moves to really elevate the franchise to its former glory in some ways. And, you know, like unite the fan base, get everybody on board and really generate some heat for whatever's coming down the road theatrically. So uh, I don't think they'll be happy if three years down the road, they're still just barely eking by with a billion. But for now, chalking this trilogy up to a learning experience, I think everybody's okay <laughs> with it doing a billion. At least it's making money, right? It had about a $250 million budget. Then you got to throw a couple hundred million in marketing on top of that. So it had to be north of 500 million for this to be a win for Disney. And we're well past that now. So you know what? life goes on so i I don't know what else there is to say on rise of skywalker you want to talk a little mandalorian yeah let's get right into the mandalorian chapter seven the reckoning this episode was directed by deborah chow and in it the mandalorian receives a message from grief karaga asking mando to assist him in killing the client so that imperial control would cease to exist in his town believing it to be a trap mando recruits cara dune quill and ig11 During their journey, the child once again surprises Mando with its power, which changes grief's outlook. Mm -hmm. This episode was a lot of fun. I enjoyed every second of it (laughs) until the last 10 seconds of it. Then I got a little stressed out. Mm -hmm. A lot happened here, but Mm -hmm. we're back on track. We got the main storyline back and we got a new character, which I'm excited to talk about today. Yeah. Um, yeah, you'll have to set me up with a question. Cause if I just start rambling about everything I liked about this episode, we're going to be here a while. So what, what is it you want to drill in on? Cause you're absolutely right. This was a, a heck of a lot of fun. 
Well, I think everyone knew as soon as we get a little hologram from Grief Karaga asking Mando to come back and to help him, we all knew it was going to be a trap. We all knew this wasn't going to be a serious affair, uh, or at least we felt it. Now, here's here's kind of what I want to get into with, uh, with Cara Dune. So he goes back and he recruits her. He doesn't say hi to his village people but uh, that we know <laughs> of, but uh, he goes back, he, he talks to Cara Dune, and before that, she's in a fight club. Which sure. doesn't seem very effective for laying low. I don't. I don't know how. How did you read into that? Did you just read into it as being a lot of fun, or did you have the concern like I did? Oh, I didn't have any concern because there's a <laughs> lot of bars in the galaxy, right? Like, there, there's no reason to assume that anyone's taking notice of a couple people, uh, you know, boxing for you know whatever uh, <laughs> bar bets. Um, this is pretty low key in the grand scheme of things. But it's just a fun way to revisit the character. We know her as a brawler. We know her as, you know, tough as nails and she can hold her own and she's a, she's a warrior through and through. So for them to do uh, like a fun callback to that Western, I don't know if it qualifies as a trope, but it's something that you've seen in more than a few Westerns Mm -hmm. over the years where the two competitors are tied together. Like I, I remember one where it seemed like they each had to have like a horse bit in their mouth and they were like a attached via like a leather strap in a, in a bar in a Western. And that's how they were like, um, I think they, they were having like a knife fight or something like that. But the idea was you can't run from it. Like if you get into this, you're attached until one of you guys falls. Um, so for them to use that with energy binders, great star Wars cowboys in space. This is more of the, the type of fusion that we're loving from this show. So yeah, this, this was a nice little way to, uh, reintroduce us to one of uh, my favorite characters that we've seen so far this season. Um, yeah, totally happy with this, uh, little, <laughs> little digression into, uh, star Wars UFC. Yeah. And, and of course you have her background, which is in that type of stuff. So it's, it's just really cool to kind of see that. And then it's really believable because I'm sure that the person that she was fighting, the actor was also a stunt double. And so this was a, a very convincing fight, which is what I enjoyed most about it because sometimes we get these fights on TV and they're not believable. They look really choreograph which they are but sometimes you can see that there's a double in place of the main actor and so having of course uh this actor playing Kara, she she's a professional fighter so it, it was a lot of fun to see her do what she's really really good at and uh yeah it was it was fun yeah i'm, I'm pretty sure that the the guy she was sparring with there is a, a fellow professional fighter mm-hmm. i don't know his name because i don't really follow ufc or any of that stuff but um uh, I'm pretty sure just in my doing my homework, I came across that, that this is a, a cameo from someone who is big on UFC. They would know exactly who that is. Yeah. 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 Well, from first glance, it looked like Ray Park who played mall, of course, in episode one. Well, that's because it's the same species. It's, right. It's a Zebrock, right? Or a Zebrock. What, what, what is, what is his species called? I can't remember. They, they come from a, a planet where the mother and the the, the sisters, although all, all those people that we got introduced to in the Clone Wars, I, I think it's Zebrak, but I haven't haven't had to say that out loud in a long time. So, but yes, the the horn tattooed, uh, yes, warriors from Dathomir or whatever. Yeah. So yep. anyway, uh, a really cool fight. She of course is hesitant when the Mando comes to her and says, "Hey, I need some help." He kind of explains it. She's basically responds with, I don't really care about some warlord on some distant (laughs) planet. That's not my problem. But then as soon as he says that he's a former Imperial uh, governor, was he a moth or what was he? Uh, 
the client is lower than a moth because it's moth Gideon, right? Who's mm-hmm. his superior. So he's some sort of, you know, regional commander of some stripe. Uh, they specifically go out of their way to say that, uh, he wasn't wearing his stripe. So there was mm-hmm. no way for grief Karga to actually know what his rank was. And, uh, it, it seems like from the, the busted up battalion that he actually commands, he's really not that high up or not mm-hmm. that well respected. It, it seems like he's some sort of a zealot in his own mind, but I don't think he's wielding, obviously not the kind of power that, uh, Moff Gideon is. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she decides that she's going to help out Mando to get rid of some Imperials. She likes mm-hmm. attacking those people. So she goes with him and then I, every week I want to defend the Mando's parenting skills. I feel like he's improving every single week. I get that feeling of like, oh yeah, he's getting better. But then in this one, it's just like, oh, you're not getting better. Let's just leave. Let's just leave little the, the child up up in the cockpit while we go down and leave him unattended up there. And I like that Kara says, "Is he fine up there?" Mm-hmm. And the Mando's just like, "Yeah, sure. What all has he done? I don't know. Pressed all of your switches since you've had him in there." <laughs> but now the sad part of this is that, of course, he's doing it, and he's, and, or at least this is how I read into it. Whenever he's trying to control the ship and get it off course, it's because he doesn't want to go back. Did you mm-hmm. get the same feeling? Yeah, they they do a good. Well, Deborah Chow, I think, does a good job of setting that up because when they leave Baby Yoda. He's asleep or, you know, at least calm in his little, little crib there, um, up in the cockpit area. But as they're down below talking about the mission and, you know, Mando specifically says, you know, we're not going to be safe until we go back and we confront this imp, uh, meaning, you know, the Imperials baby Yoda, uh, pops his little head down, (laughs) you know, from the cockpit and you see it, they don't see it. They don't know that he's listening in, but just like any kid after bedtime on the stairs, listening to their parents, (laughs) you know, uh, talk after hours or whatever, but we have this little moment with baby Yoda and it seems like that was what was motivating him to be like, I don't know how to run this ship, but I know I'm going to turn this thing as far away from the Imperials as possible because you get the sense that there's some trauma there, right? Like they haven't been kind to him and there's been experiments or whatever. Um, He's had, we're assuming a long history of captivity Mm. under the Imperials. So yeah, this was a a knee jerk sort of emotional childlike reaction that I I think made perfect sense. And I think the way they set it up was just subtle enough that if you wanted to see it, it was there, but if not, it's just fun, you know, baby getting his hands on the control and wreaking havoc. Yeah, absolutely. And so then the Mando decides they need some more help. So he goes and he finds Quill, uh, Farmer Ugnot Quill, who we learn his name for the first time. First time it's ever pronounced in the show. So, yeah, we, we got we got a name to him and he has repaired IG-11. Mm-hmm. Now, I really I, I was kind of concerned about this and my theory and since I have seen the finale, I won't get too much into, <laughs> you know, my theory and how I was wrong. But basically, I had a theory about IG-11. It turned out to be a little bit wrong. But <laughs> hey, whatever. Anyway, I thought that it was a really interesting move for it to be Quill to be the one that actually turns him into a fighter for this team. Sure. Uh, basically, uh, uh, Taiko Atiti was amazing voice with this. Uh, I also loved the training him learning from scratch yes. and smashing the little uh, space lizards and, and Quill is like looking at him and points at it and, and basically shakes his head like, no, we don't just kill these things. You got to do better than that. Right. Uh, yeah. But the Mando still does not trust IG 11. 
And this leads up to a very big moment in the finale, which we won't really touch on. Sure. But yeah, this whole season has done a great job and Favreau and company have done a great job with communicating to directly, indirectly, explicitly implied. I mean, we get basically the Mando does not like droids and we get that in just about every single episode that the Mando doesn't like droids. So, of course, he doesn't trust IG-11. Mm-hmm. There's something else about the whole repairing IG-11 and having his his memory basically be mush and having to retrain him up. Um, I think one of the reasons why this episode is so satisfying beyond just the fun action of it, right? Like, it's a, it's a great story and it goes to some really uh, dramatic, intense places by the end of it. But... This one has a really solid emotional core. Mm -hmm. It's really driving home the idea of like fathers training their children. Mm -hmm. You get, uh, some very bad parenting on the part of the Mandalorian, you know, I don't just even something as simple as, as arm wrestling and, and, um, you know, committing acts of violence in front of baby yodel, um, throughout the series he's really messing with that kid's head and you're starting to see that this little kid uh, could go either way, right? Like it, just like Quill says about the droid, the droid is just a reflection of its masters of the people that program it to be either good or bad. It's almost like there's a life lesson in that for the Mandalorian. Like think about the potential of this baby yodel Mm -hmm. and the impact that you're going to have on him. And it seems like there was, uh, you know, just a very, Ah, smart theme that they were drawing on throughout the episode. Even when, you know, IG 11 picks up, Oh, never mind. That's the next episode. (laughs) I don't want to get into that, but anyways, this is a, this is a theme that I think carries through into the finale. But uh, as we've already explained, we're, we're catching up a little bit after the fact. So we have both seen uh, episode eight at this point, but we won't get into that. But for now, I just really wanted to say that I, I think it, it's sharp writing when they can overlap these themes of uh quill uh nursing his droid to be a noble honorable creature just like quill is the question is can the mandalorian walk both sides of the line trying to be an honorable man but also being you know so caught up in in this underworld you know that he's found himself in uh what are the implications for baby yodel i think that that's a fascinating thing to explore and i'm glad that this show has been smart enough and the writing has been good enough to dig for that kind of stuff because you need an emotional core for star wars to be good it can't just be a space cowboy adventure you need like that's fun too you need that action but you you need something else and i think they're really finding it and that's why i think this finale works as well as it does well and yeah and of course baby yodel has only been around two types of individuals those that want to protect him and then of course those that want to harm him so this is a very confused child and especially when you introduce it to an arm wrestling so (laughs) we have a very shocking thing that happens in this arm wrestling match It, it it seems like it's a it's a really even match they're really challenging each other and then little yodel lifts up his hand and starts doing a familiar force choke so I read into this as the child was protecting Mando because, of course, he sees, yeah. OK, Mando's trying to protect me. Any challenger to him is, of course, trying to get me because that's all he's been exposed to. Right. So we have that whole situation. And yeah, but he looked like he was very upset right. at at Kara here. So did you read it into the same way that, it, that Yodel was just protecting Mando? Yeah. Yodel is confused 
and Yodel is still a child. So he's taking in these scenes in a very literal way, right? If someone is challenging or attacking my father figure, I'm going to have a very immediate emotional response to that. And for a little baby force user, you know, uh, that's how it's going to manifest. It's interesting though, that we've only ever seen the force choke. Actually, no, you know what? That's not true. We saw it in return of the Jedi. Uh, Luke used it. I was going to say, we've only seen dark side users use that, which kind of signals that, you know, this baby is just raw force. Mm -hmm. And because its emotions haven't been bridled and it hasn't been trained and it hasn't been endowed with any kind of morality at this point. Uh, the force is just whatever it's going to be, you know, based on the whim of the baby's emotions. So seeing it use something that we typically associate with a dark side user is very telling about, uh, the potential catastrophe. If Mando doesn't raise this little, uh, yodeling correctly. Um, yeah. So uh, Again, a, a simple scene, something that goes by quick, but there's a lot of depth to be mined if you really want to see it there. And I, I think that's really why I loved all of this stuff inside the Razor Crest. They, mm-hmm. Everybody's saying so much about their character. We even get that from Queel too. We get a whole lot of sense of his nobility and his, um, I have dignity because I claimed it and I live my life honorably and nobody gets to dictate to me what kind of person I'm going to be like. He is saying all of the, like, this is what it means to be a man. Damn it. Learn the lesson. <laughs> you, you dumb kids. Uh, you get a sense of that too. And I just, I don't know. This, this was so charming. So good. Yeah. And it, and it opens the door for Quill to basically explain to Mando what's going on and how he was just like, when the first time you told me mm, what yeah, the yeah. child did, I was confused. But then I went back and did some research, blah, blah, blah. I've heard rumors, and I found yes. what's going on here. Yeah. And this child is a little more than what we've originally thought. And yeah, so Quill basically goes back, tells him this, the Mando, uh, you know, it, you can't see it because his, his face is covered, but it, it almost seems that the Mando also has kind of that light bulb going off moment. Like, oh, yes, mm-hmm. this is the the ancient war between the Mandalorians and the, the Jedi, basically. Uh, this is where that comes from. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of referenced in the second episode, we thought, that Mando was getting a feel as to what Yodel was doing because he said, the enemy didn't know it was my enemy, right? you know, whatever. Uh, so I, I have a, a slightly different take on that. Let's revisit mm-hmm. that quickly. Cause you were right to kind of assume, okay, well maybe he's putting two and two together and he realizes that an, an ancient foe of the Mandalorians was the Jedi, mm-hmm. but that was also his quarry. Like as far as he was concerned, his job was to bring that little yodeling in and sacrifice it on the altar of the Imperial. So that was his enemy. You know, that was uh, baby yodel shouldn't have meant anything to him other than this is the prize. So I think that's what he meant by enemy. He didn't see yodel at that point as, uh, you know, being his kid. (laughs) That that's a, that's a relationship that developed later. Right. And, yeah. and yeah, and I, I completely think that's what it was, yeah. especially from now, because we had the two light bulb moments go off in this episode. And then of mm. course we get further explanation in chapter eight, which we'll yep. get into next week. <laughs> so they get back to this planet and grief, of course, has his company with him to protect it. You know, they both had the same idea. Like, okay, mm. you know, I'm springing the trap with this and he's bringing people to help for any springing of the trap. Right. Now, he promises no more than four stormtroopers. <laughs> he didn't promise. He, he suggested. He, yeah, he basically said, yeah, there's <laughs> four with the client at all times. So it would have been useful since he knew that the rest of the village was overrun <laughs> by stormtroopers. Yeah. Like, hey, oh, by the way, we're under occupation and there's stormtroopers on every corner. <laughs> he, yeah. he neglected to mention that little factoid. Yes. 
But really, that fact we find out later is they he didn't need to tell the Mando and Kara about that because they were going to be dead before he even got into the town. So it didn't really. Yeah, there was nothing really that mattered from that point. Now, during this whole thing, they have the classic. All right, we're going to go in by foot, approach him from a distance, really selling this. We're going to kill the client type of act here. Mm -hmm. And in this, they're attacked by some poisonous dragon things. Now, have you ever seen that species before? Because I'm completely unfamiliar with them. No, but I, I did try to put two and two together based on a little bit of homework that I was doing some other people's analysis earlier in the episode, grief Karga refers to baby Yodel as a Bogwin, mm-hmm. And there is a species in the star Wars universe that I believe, um, was on Dagobah yeah. that yeah. seems to sort of fit like we only see these dragons in the dark. So it's, it's very much open to interpretation exactly what they look like in the, in the stark light of day, but it could be that maybe the reason why they dropped that species name earlier in the episode was to give you a sense that grief Karga was relating baby Yodel to another species that he's familiar with because these things live on this planet. Mm-hmm. So that could be, you know, just their subtle allusion to what we should assume that these dragons were, all we need to know is that they're a flying menace that are big enough to carry off a blurg if they're so inclined. <laughs> and uh, obviously things get very dramatic very quickly. Yeah. And he gets scratched by one of these things and apparently they're or bit, whatever, whatever it is, but there's some poison yes. going. Right. And uh, okay. So you're going through this planet, which you are now, you've now lived on for some time. You're going out into the wild. <laughs> you probably know these things are out there. Why not double check and make sure you have a med pack on you? Or why not not roast, you know, a big space pig <laughs> on a spit and send, you know, wonderful, juicy, tasty, delectable scents across the landscape to attract every dragon in the vicinity? Um, yeah, uh, you would think they'd be a little bit more savvy about the wildlife on the planet. But hey. I had a lot of fun with this scene. So this is one of those things where you just forgive the fact that, Hey, you, they got to get from point A to point B. Somehow we want to have a little fun along the way. If everyone was super savvy and avoided danger, well, what's the fun in watching people avoid right. danger? I'd rather watch them in peril. And that's what we get here. Yeah. This is a classic pack of wolves attacks. Exactly. The, yeah. You know, the, the campsite or, or the mountain lion, whatever it is that you want to, you want to take from a the, bear, a buffalo, buffalo, whatever it is. Yes. They're, they're getting menaced by the, the wildlife and, uh, they don't fare too well. I, I think one of their own gets dragged off. They lose a blurg and obviously grief Karga takes a shot. Uh, yeah, this was a, a serious, serious little encounter. It was indeed. And then of course, baby Yodel makes a nice little sacrifice. And the second time watching this episode, cause I watched it for the second time after I had seen the rise of Skywalker. And of course this healing power takes a lot of energy from the mm-hmm. person distributing it. So right. this is even more powerful of a scene and a bigger sacrifice that Yodel makes with that knowledge that you get from the rise of Skywalker. But yes. I just love that as soon as Yodel touches his arm, Grief's response is he's trying to eat me. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, perhaps, you know, Grief still hasn't figured out that baby Yodel is not a Bogwin. Like maybe, you know, maybe... <laughs> He's just so frustrated with the natural wildlife at this point. He's just thinking, you know, baby Yodel is just more of the same. Um, 
I think that's just a, a fun little bit of whimsy that they wrote in just to make that scene play a little bit more fun. And, and it, it's true to grief Cargus character. He's a little bit larger than life and he is always dramatic, right? He, <laughs> he, he is the center of attention. So it does make sense that uh, he would say something a little bit over the top like that. I liked it when it happened. I, I, I audibly chuckled. Like I, I thought that was a, a fun little, little uh, bit of dialogue that they worked in there. But like you said, all of this is effectively, well, Partly it's set up to establish that force power because a few days after this episode dropped, we see it in the rise of Skywalker. So it's a little less uh, jarring than if you go into the rise of Skywalker, knowing that this is a thing. Uh, So it's kind of nice that it dovetailed that way into the rise of Skywalker, but it also changes the motivations of grief, which becomes a very important plot point. So I'll, uh, I'll throw back to you. Let's, uh, let's see where we go from here. So of course this does change grief's mind about what, what, this is going to what they're going to do rather and how they're going to approach this. And so he offs his two partners, his remaining partners. The other one was eaten by a poisonous dragon, (laughs) which, you know, is really unfortunate, but Hey, they were going to kill Mando and Kara anyway. So he reveals the original plan, puts the child in Quill's arms and sends them back to the ship. And then they decide that they're going to go in with a empty, little egg that is supposed to be holding onto the child. And yeah, they go into the town. They find out there's of course more than four stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah. They sit down with the client. The client has just Warner Herzog has been such a delight every time he's in here. <laughs> yes. because you can't really get a read on him. Like mm-hmm. you know he's driven by something, driven by this mission of collecting the child. We find out later that it's not even he's not even the head of this mission that it's coming from uh of course there's someone else and we knew there's someone else higher than him but we thought he was the one heading this whole mission which mm-hmm. at one point he may have been doing but we get a an even bigger bad which we were all expecting we would receive here i didn't think we were going to get him in the same way but i'll get to that later mm-hmm. i just love the line because i feel like warner herzog is the entire Mandalorian fan base every single episode with his quote, I would like to see the baby. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Yeah, there's a meme for you right there. Yeah. Because every time we get an episode of the Mandalorian, the first thought is like, okay, where's baby Yodel? Mm -hmm. We need to see him. Sure. And then then he, you know, goos and gaws and it's just, uh aw. And, you know, hey, it's a lot of fun. But we see that, of course, the client gets a very convenient phone call at Mm -hmm. the moment that he wants to see the baby. And it is, of course, from Moff Gideon, played by Giancarlo Esposito. The first time we see him, and he has figured out the plan. He has somehow figured it out. He's somehow realized that it is a kind of, not necessarily bait and switch, but they're, of course, bringing their own trap. And it turns into this nice little shootout. And, And it appears, and I would assume, because the whole whatever happens in chapter eight. But anyway, uh, Warner Herzog's character, the client is offed. Yes. And not by Mando. It looks like it's the death troopers from outside that actually do him in. That's exactly what I was thinking, because as soon as that happened, you see their, uh, their whole reaction is, Mm -hmm. Oh, we're under attack. So yeah. Right. And I can't get into it, but it even makes more sense after chapter eight comes out on how uh, Moff Gideon <laughs> responds to everything. Yes. So yes, it was of course the death troopers outside who yeah. offed the client. Yeah. This whole thing was a lot of fun. And 
this was a very interesting way to end the episode because it doesn't turn into a huge shootout. It turns into Mando, Grief, and Kara are able to get rid of the stormtroopers inside the cantina with them very mm. quickly. You know, that, that was not an issue for them. But then there are hundreds of stormtroopers waiting yes. for them outside. Yeah, a troop transport comes and unloads a fresh battalion and they're just, you know, the entire uh, courtyard there out in front of the bar is is filled with uh, stormtroopers. So yeah, they are pinned down, no way out. This is kind of the, the ultimate cliffhanger. That's kind of how we're leaving the episode. Yeah. It seems like the goose is cooked. There's, there's no more options. Uh, we'll see where it goes next week, but I think there's one obvious thing that we have to address <laughs> because uh, it doesn't actually close on our heroes being pinned down in the cantina. No. After the gunfire starts, Mando gets on his comm, calls to Queel, tells him that he's being pursued. Mm -hmm. So Queel puts pedal to the metal, tries to get to the Razor Crest. There's two speeder troopers, Mm -hmm. scout troopers, that intercept the communication, get a lock on Queel and zip off after him. And we have this very, very tense and perfectly staged race basically we you know we have a, a race to the razor crest and the way that they're shooting it you don't know if the speeder bikes are gaining ground on quill and it looks like he's only a few hundred yards off from the razor crest is he going to get there and then we get a hard cut and when we revisit quill he is on the ground and baby yoda is snatched up by the scout troopers and that is where we leave our episode yeah it ends on <laughs> The way that I was always Mm. fearful an episode would end. And of course, the longest break. This isn't simply a week that we have to see what happens with Baby Yodel. But it's a week and a half, and you're just like, no, you can't do this. And so the whole week I'm trying to, you know, go through what's going to happen. Okay, you know, maybe IG-11 is going to be right there and shoot down the troopers right away. And it's it's just going to, you know, we're going to get Yodel back within the first, you know, minute of Mm -hmm. the next episode. You know, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough place to end this episode because we see Quill. Of course, this is tragic because he's dead. That's really sad. Like this is the first big death of a main character that we actually cared about. And of course, Quill is kind of, of course, the father figure. He's the yes. uh, he's the one that, that's training the Mando, and of course, his own ways and trying to be a better person and basically saying. I'm a hard worker. I've, I freed myself by basically paying off my debt by showing that I'm a skilled labor worker. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hate the empire too. I'm ready for them to go away because we need peace, all this stuff. Like he is a classic good person, good character in, in the show. And so to see him off in a, in a situation where he really didn't have to be there, like that's the most tragic part is that, Quill didn't have to be on this planet. He didn't have to be protecting Yodel. He could be back on his farm raising his blurgs and living with IG-11 and, and it would be all happy and stuff. But no, it ends right here. And then I just loved Moff Gideon's kind of sinister explaining to them in classic Western fashion, you know, where we got you surrounded. Yep. Pretty soon I'm going to have what you're trying to protect. You don't realize what you're holding on to. I do this means more to me than you know. Right. And basically, yeah, I don't care. I will kill anyone that gets in my way. And yeah, it ends It ends with that. Yes. Now, my theory going into this was, where is IG-11 
during all this because of sure. course the signal gets intercepted somehow the the scout troopers get access to it my first thought was uh oh maybe ig11 turned it over maybe he actually as soon as they landed and left the razor crest he communicated with Ooh. the empire that was my thought um i won't explain if I'm right or wrong until the next episode. But basically that that's what I was thinking with IG 11. Uh, Yeah. A very painful week and a half for me having to wait for this. (laughs) Well, I'm sure it'll fly by. I'm I'm sure the the next episode will drop in no time flat. Um, Yeah. Just to, just to revisit Quill's death quickly there. There is another trope in Westerns Mm -hmm. where when our hero has to put together his posse, there is a character like Queel, the honorable person who is honor bound to help them, but has no dog in the fight. He's simply there because he's a man of honor and he can't let injustice happen. And he's usually, you know, the older wizened character, the, you know, the one who's seen enough things in his life that he just wants a calm, quiet existence, but he's pulled in because ultimately he is honor bound. And that's what basically pulled Queel into it. So it is funny that you don't necessarily see it when they set up Quill in the earlier episodes. He's serving a purpose. He's getting Mando to the encampment so that he can discover baby Yodel. Uh, so he, he plays a very efficient role uh, from a narrative standpoint, but they took that character and uh, they, they built it into what I, I personally think is the, the most developed character that we've seen so far in the show. And the one that I'm rooting for, like, I, I love that idea of this guy just to his core is good. Like, even when it comes to salvaging a droid, he's not going to do it if it's in defiance of even the, the dumbest procedural law of the new Republic. Like he even says, you know what? I scavenged him and I brought him back because the rules say that that's something that I can do and it doesn't really call into question my morality. Like every step of the way with Queel, you get the sense that this is just an honorable dude. And like in the Westerns, that's usually the first guy to go of the posse. Yeah. And that's what sort of steals the rest of the posse and steals the hero to then have to avenge him and, and have to, you know, see the mission through because we lost kind of the, the heart of the posse. So now everyone else has to step up and yeah, they nailed it. This was a, a perfect penultimate episode in that it couldn't have made me more excited to see how they bring all this to a conclusion in the next episode and so many great payoffs and so many characters brought back into the fold for this adventure. Mwah! Chef's yeah. kiss. <laughs> Beautiful. Yep. And we are just getting started with this Moff Gideon. Right. I am super excited to talk about him next week because there's so much going on here. Uh, I like the budget of this whole show is amazing. And the special effects were great, especially with Moff Gideon's TIE fighter here. Sure. Just seeing it fly in and landing. It looked so great. I was Mm -hmm. super excited to see it. And then uh, I just got to love Giancarlo Esposito because, (laughs) man, did he deliver in the 30 seconds he was in this episode? And then, of course, next week, we're going to get into even more with him. I mean, man, well, is there is there anything else to talk about in this episode? The man in black has stepped out into the street and he's calling out our hero. You know, like the bad guy has the upper hand and yeah, <laughs> the, the, the crap's going to hit the fan uh, in uh, a week and a half or maybe sooner. We'll see. Yeah. Well, John, this was so much fun. I'm super excited to get into the next episode next week. But Mm -hmm. other than that, where can the people find you? 
The people can find me at the SNL After Party Podcast on all of the major podcast consumption platforms. We produce the largest and arguably most awesome SNL podcast that ever has been. Uh, we just dropped our coverage of the Eddie Murphy Christmas episode. Great episode. A lot to talk about there. And um, we've got a best of the rest cut for time sketches episode dropping a little bit later in January. So if anyone likes Saturday night live and uh, would like to check in on a show that uh, really delves through the minutia of how that show is made and uh, why it's a cultural institution, head over to snlpodcast.com. And you can keep up with this show throughout the week on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and email us at hello at Star Wars TV Talk.com. You can find the rest of our episodes online at Star Wars TV Talk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please do not forget to leave us a nice little five star review. You can find more TV Talk podcasts at TV Talk.fm. Thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you always. <laughs>